Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on the Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. You know, I just finished reading the book, The Good Neighbor, which is a bio- biography on Fred Rogers, better known as Mr. Rogers. If you're like me, uh, I, I grew up on uh, watching his shows. I learned a lot from it. I still find comfort whenever I do watch clips here and there of it. And uh, one interesting episode that came up in that book was when he was about to go for the first time on the Oprah Winfrey show. It's a big deal and things. And uh, he and his team specifically told the producers of the show to not have any children in the audience, and which is a kind of a strange request for somebody whose love for children is evident. His whole life and ministry is for children. But the reason why he didn't want any kids there was because he, f- he knew his heart and he knew that if he was on the show and he started seeing children or if they asked him anything, he knew that his attention and affections would go towards them, and he didn't want to, you know, ignore Oprah Winfrey. Now, the producers of the show, unfortunately, didn't get the memo, and so there were a lot of children in the studio audience. And so as they were interviewing, you know, suddenly, you know, these hands started going up, and the moment these kids started to ask questions, all of a sudden, Fred Rogers, he got out of his chair, he got down eye level, he started to talk to them, and he was so concerned about whatever they were concerned about because he wanted them to know that what you have to ask is important, and I'm here to answer those questions. And it got to the point where Oprah Winfrey was visibly feeling awkward, like, hello, this is my show, hello, back here, Mr. Rogers, you know, and so she had to cut away to commercials, and he was still going. But what was beautiful about that situation, it was, it was so clear for Oprah and for the whole staff on the show that his heart truly does care about every child. It's how he's wired. And it was a beautiful testimony of how God gave him a piece of God's heart for children. If you didn't know, Fred Rogers was also an ordained Presbyterian minister. And in fact, he almost didn't get ordained because the presbytery could not understand why he still wanted to do TV if you're going to go become a minister. But thankfully, a good friend of his was able to convince the presbytery that you need to understand that this is going to be a unique ministry that's vital for this generation. Because what ended up happening is the TV became his pulpit and the children around the world became his congregation. And it was a beautiful also picture of how a visionary leader can be used by God with his unique giftings, talents, and vision. And so the thing that was central to Mr. Rogers' ministry and show was that he felt called by God to make sure that he could communicate around the world and whenever he's speaking to children, the one message that you matter deeply in this world. And again, that is the heart of God. That is the heart of God beating inside Mr. Rogers. You know, as we conclude Faith Promise this year, we want to finish by celebrating Orphan Sunday, which is this weekend, and the value of children in God's kingdom. Orphan Sunday is the one Sunday out of the year where churches around the globe highlight and celebrate God's heart for the orphan and for vulnerable children in our communities and across the nations. There is something significant about children 
and their place in God's heart that we need to be reminded of over and over again. And in light of Orphan Sunday, we want to look at how we as the church, his body, can respond and live out God's heart for them as well. So follow along with me in your outlines. We're going to do kind of a mini theology of children today, and we want to look at how children does hold a very special place in Scripture and in the heart of God. And the first thing that we learn very quickly when we study this topic in Scripture is that children are precious. Children are precious to the heart of God. Let's begin by looking at Psalm 127, verse 3 and following. It says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are children of one's youth. Now, the beginning of that verse says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. You could actually translate that word heritage to inheritance. That children are an inheritance from God into our lives, meaning that they are a treasure given from God, entrusted into our life. They are a treasure to God. They are precious to God. Just like if you are thinking about what will I leave as an inheritance to my children or grandchildren, you only pick things that are deeply valuable to you. And so that is true with God. The reason why he has entrusted children in various capacities, whether parents, teachers, grandparents, aunts, uncles, whatever that looks like, the reason why they are entrusted as an inheritance from God to us is because of how valuable they are to his heart. And that stands in stark contrast to how the world often will portray children. A lot of times the message that we will hear through media is that children are a burden. But what we see clear in God's word is that in God's sight, they are a blessing. The kingdom perspective to have on children is that they are a gift and they are precious in his sight. All children matter to God. That is why we honor life from the moment it is conceived in the womb. And we learn this from scripture as well. Psalm 139 from verse 13 and following says, For you formed my inner parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. This passage is beautifully rich in what happens from the moment of conception. And even before that, that we are conceived in the mind of God before we are conceived in the womb of our mothers. And that there is purpose and beauty and something glorious happening with the development of the cells and the heartbeat and the brain and the fingers and the toes and the organs. All these things that the master creator, God Almighty, is hand-forming, crafting a masterpiece with every child in the womb. You see, the sanctity of life issue is about valuing all of life. From the womb to the tomb and every season of life in between, those seasons matter because every life is important to God. And because of that, we also see a lot of warfare happening for every season of life, including life being formed in the womb. 
Why is there warfare? Why does the enemy seem to declare war on the unborn? It is because the enemy hates God and hates everyone who is made in the image of God. The reason why there is warfare against the unborn is because the enemy does not want more and more people being born, radiating, reflecting the image of God's glory upon this planet. And we see this warfare because he does not want to see the fingerprints of God and his glory upon every life. There has been spiritual attacks upon young children, even the unborn, from even when we look at the early days in the book of Exodus with Pharaoh commanding all of the firstborn, all the sons to be thrown into the Nile River. And that is why Moses was protected. We see that warfare also when the wise, the three wise men did not return to the king of news of where Jesus was to be born. How did the king respond? Kill all the young sons within a certain age. So we see that this warfare is not new, and it is still ravaging on in our day. There's an estimate of over 832,000 abortions that happened in the United States last year. California does not keep track of abortions within the state, but when we look at Planned Parenthood and its affiliates, within the 17 counties that surround us, those uh, institutions performed 18,111 abortions this past year, which is why as a church we find it so important to support, bless, and partner with valuable ministries like Real Options. It is a ministry that support, provides help and support for moms that are at a crossroads where literally it is a matter of life and death for a child's. Real Options is not simply a crisis pregnancy center. They provide counseling, retreats, and care for women and men who are struggling with the loss of children, be it through abortion, be it through miscarriages, be it through other forms of premature loss within their lives. And this year, Real Options is on track to serve over 1,600 women and 850 pre-born children to be saved through this precious ministry. That is kingdom work. That is gospel work. And that delights the heart of God, which is why we partner with them, which is why we care for the unborn in this nation, which is why we care for children in foster care, which is why we care for the orphans around the world. Because kingdom culture is a culture of life. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but God, through his son, has come to give life and life to the full. You see, a proper theology of children must begin with eyes that see them as God sees them and that children are precious. Another thing that we learn in Scripture about children is that children are to be provided for. The children that God entrusts into our lives are to be provided for. Look at James 1.27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And all throughout Scripture, we see that it's clear there's something about caring for the fatherless, the orphan, and the widow, and the vulnerable that matters deeply to God. 
So let's look at this verse a little bit more carefully. James 1.27, he says, Religion, or a true life of discipleship here, that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. It is to visit orphans and widows. Now this verb to visit carries the meaning that not just simply knock, knock, here I am. It is, I have come here specifically to meet the needs of the person I am visiting. Also, it can be interpreted to bring justice for that somebody is in a dire situation and the reason why I'm here is to meet needs, to be a defender, to provide justice for this person in need. So who are we to bring justice for? Who are we to meet the needs of here in this verse? The orphans and the widows, the weak, the poor, the vulnerable. They're the most vulnerable in their communities. And we can do this in our world, in our lifetime, in our days, in our summers, to go on short-term trips where many of our regional partners and ministries and missionaries serve orphans within those respective countries. We can do this also if you're not going to go overseas. Go and sponsor a student that we've been sponsoring as a church for many years in Ethiopia and India and say, we have come here to meet the needs of these students who are in difficult situations. James 1.27 also says, and it is to keep oneself unstained from the world. What is he talking about here? Don't become stained by the culture of selfish living that the world operates under, where it's all about looking out for number one. It's all about me. It's all about my comfort, my wants, my needs. He says, don't be influenced by that culture of this world. We are, part, we are citizens of a different kingdom. And in this kingdom, our king, Christ, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life away for the ransom of many. And in this culture, we are here to meet the needs and to serve those who are extremely vulnerable in our world. Don't get comfortable with selfish living where our lives are just about us. Instead, we are to do good and use our goods for the good of others. Why are we concerned about the plight of the orphan? Because that is the concern of God's hearts. Orphan care is not simply a good thing. It is a God thing. It is a kingdom thing. And citizens of God's kingdom uphold those values as well. All throughout scripture, we see that the welfare of the fatherless, the orphan, the widow, the stranger, the refugee, they take a special place to the heart of God. These verses aren't in your outline, so you could just jot down the reference, or if you want to open up your Bibles, it's Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 17 and following. Deuteronomy 24, verse 17 and following. It says this, you shall not pervert the justice due the sojourner, the refugee, the alien, the foreigner, or to the fatherless, or take a widow's garment in pledge. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. So God says, make sure when you're gleaning your harvest, you leave extra food for the foreigner, the orphan, the fatherless, the widow. Take care of them so that God can bless you. And then verse 20, he says, When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be, so you leave extra there, for the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow. When you gather the grapes from your vineyard, you shall not strip it bare afterwards. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow. When there is repetition in Scripture, that is emphasizing something very important that the writer is trying to communicate to his audience. And what 
God is trying to emphasize to his people through these verses is that the refugee, the foreigner, the, the orphan, the fatherless, the widow, they matter deeply to me because of their vulnerability. Because in God's kingdom, deep vulnerability also means deep value to his heart. So we need to understand kingdom culture as kingdom citizens. When I became a U.S. citizen in elementary school, you make a vow and you began to understand the values of this new country that I am now a citizen of. And in the same way, when we become born again into this new family, new kingdom, part of the reason why we need to grow in God's word, grow in memorizing scripture and in prayer is to know the culture that our, his, his citizens are to operate under. Where Christ is king and his heart's and values is represented by beating in the lives of its citizens. And so in these verses in Deuteronomy 24, it is clear God is telling us that out of the abundance, you're going to have an abundance. Out of the abundance that we have, the ways that God has blessed you, make sure you leave some extra to bless others with. Another, another way to say it, we are blessed to be a blessing. So this shows that the reason why, one of the key reasons why God blesses us with more than we need is so that we can meet the needs of others. Do you realize that's one of the reasons why we have abundance? That's one of the reasons why we have extra, excess. That's one of the reasons why we have been blessed greatly is so that we can be a blessing to those who are in need. God is sharing his blessings with you so that you might share in his concerns with others. You know, Jamima is a girl in India that our family has been sponsoring since we've been at Venture for the past couple of years. She's 16 now. Her father passed away, uh, and so now it's just her, her mom, and her two brothers. And they do their best to study and to make ends meet. And she has dreams of finishing college and getting a good job so that she could prepare or provide for her family, things like that. And we pray for her and her family as a family each night before, for our family devotionals. And I, what I've loved seeing over these past couple of years is how my seven-year-old son Enoch also uh, will always remember her. If, we're, if we come home late and we do maybe like a quicker family devotion than normal, he's always like, don't forget to pray for Jemima. And we'll be out. Don't forget to pray for Jemima. And I love seeing his heart being concerned about the plights of this child who is fatherless in this world. And one of the letters that Jemima sent to us uh, as a follow-up, she said this. She goes, we pray for God to take care of us, and he is taking care of us through you. So thank you. And as I, was, as I was reflecting upon that, I was like, oh my goodness, are you kidding me? The honor is all ours. Why? Because God deeply cares for the fatherless and the widow. Jemima is fatherless. Her mother is a widow. And the fact that we get to play a small role in blessing somebody that matters so deeply to the heart of God, that is our honor as a family. And it is a simple way to be a part of God's heart for these children. 
If you'd like to be, let that be a part of your giving, your life as a family, please visit the India table or the Ethiopia table after the service. There's only a handful of students left, but I would love to have all of these students sponsored before the end of Faith Promise. What we also learn in Scripture is that children are also to be protected. Children are to be protected. Psalm 68.5. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. You know, there's a lot of ways that we can introduce ourselves as doctor, minister, mom, dad. This is my identity. This is my title. This is who I find in terms of my personality and identity in society. But one of the ways that God chooses to identify himself and reveal his title to this world so that you know my identity, so many times in scripture, God defines himself as a father to the fatherless, protector and defender of the widow. That's how much he loves them. That's how much vulnerable people are valuable to his heart and in this kingdom. Therefore, as his body, the church, we are to be the physical expression of this heart of compassion and care. So what does that mean for us and the plight of the orphans around the world, the 153 orphans or homeless children around the world? What does that mean for us in the United States? What does that that mean for us in California? Currently in the United States, we have over 400,000 children in foster care with a little over 100,000 eligible for adoption. In California, we have 55,000 children in foster care. Break it down to Santa Clara County. Specifically, we have 1,100 children in foster care. And studies have found within a Bay Area foster system study that was done not too long ago, they discovered that if people age out of foster care, this is their plight more likely than not. Less than 3% will earn a college degree. 71% of girls who age out of foster care will be pregnant by the age of 21. One out of every two will develop some sort of substance abuse. 33% will become homeless. 60% of child sex trafficking victims as part of a nationwide raid discovered that 60% of these victims were from the foster care system. So these stats prove these children in the foster care system are deeply vulnerable. And what scripture proves is that they're deeply valuable. And God calls us as a church, as his body. What is our role? What is your role going to be to care for, to provide for, to protect, to love, to be a support for these children, not just in other countries, but in our county? The number of children waiting to be adopted in California is 13,091. The number of churches in California, 22,798. There are more churches than children waiting for adoption in this state. And so that's why it's so important for us to have these types of services at least once a year where we highlight for his body, for his people, for the citizens of God's kingdom, for us to examine as Nathan and Rachel also examined for their lives. What does that mean for us as a family? What is our role Is it to be a support? Is it to be foster parents? Is it to be a sponsor? What is our role to live out the gospel in this way? For some of you, yeah, maybe it does mean that 
God is calling you to be foster parents. But a cool thing too is, let's say you're single or you're um, empty nesters or you're, you know, that your season of life, maybe that's not for you. That's okay. You could still have an important role to play. The cool thing about Foster the Bay, and you can get more information after the service too, is they love to not only see churches have at least one family who will be foster parents, they love to have at least three other families within that same church function as supportive parents to be with them during their court dates, to provide for them meals when things get challenging, to be an extra babysitter, to be some sort of support system so that we can help those families who are seeking to help these children. Another area that I promised to update you on from the summer was the work that we began in the Cebu Philippines called Restore, which is an aftercare center specifically for uh, children who've been rescued out of cyber trafficking uh, in the world. The reason why we started there is because unfortunately Cebu, um, a island in the Philippines, has become the hotbed of cyber trafficking around the world. And that, if you're not familiar, it's basically when children are exploited through the webcam and customers, unfortunately, majority from Western, wealthy, middle to upper class men in the US, Canada, Australia, UK, they are the primary driving customer force for this, making requests that are very dark. Uh, behind the webcams. Now, uh, the first photo that you'll see is a photo that you may have seen that I uh, showed you guys when I first came back from the mission trip. And these are boats in Lapu-Lapu and Cordova. These are the two cities, two regions in Cebu that are the hotspots for cyber trafficking. And the reason why it's, uh, I'm showing these boats is if you may recall, if you were here that weekend, uh, these areas used to be thriving fishing industry ports. But now more and more bo uh, boats are being abandoned. The reason being is they've discovered that instead of working 18-hour days making only 200 bucks uh, fishing, they've found out that if you just have a webcam and get involved in this kind of trafficking, you can make over $2,000 a day. And so that's why we see this abandonment. And not only that, the victims are getting younger and younger. The reason why we started Restore Center last year through our church is because uh, they've always had adult restoration centers for 18 and above, but they never had anything for these young victims, which are also increasing. And the average age of the children that we're caring for is between the ages of 5 and 18. Not too long ago, we've also heard that there are also, uh, they rescued children as young as two months old. Nothing short of demonic is the way that we can describe this evil that is happening. To abuse children that young. And so this past year, we as a church through Restore had the honor of helping over 100 young children get proper help and care for them and for some of them, their parents. The next photo that you'll see is a photo of our first short-term mission trip a team from our church that we were able to serve there. And I would love for you guys to go where, Lord willing, we're planning on sending a team every July, every summer to the Restore Center. I'd love for you guys to try to go at least once in your lifetime to see the precious work that is being done to these children through this team. 
While we were there this summer, we not only ministered to these children, we also had the opportunity to speak to all the churches gathered together by the thousands to address this issue. I was able to share at this conference and challenge these churches to understand the issue and to embrace it again as the body of Christ. This is your backyard and your responsibility to love on them and to bring healing through the cross. And weeks after we left, while we did prayer walks in certain areas, raids happened and arrests happened within the same areas that we did prayer walks. Prayer walking groups began as a result. And one of the churches got so convicted, they church planted in the middle of one of these regions that is a hot spot for this kind of trafficking. And we celebrate the way that God was moving in this place. The next photo that you're going to see is of these children that we are helping. And the photo shows how important, because of their age, how important art therapy is. At that age, they cannot, they don't have the vocabulary to describe the nightmares and the horrors that they had to endure through for years. And so art therapy is one of the means in which they can express the pain and the darkness and the dreams and the nightmares that they had to walk through thus far. And the next photo you'll also see is a group, again, a group therapy session with some of the parents as well. Uh, let me share with you uh, the story of one particular uh, boy that we were to help recently. His name is Nicholas. He's seven years old right now. For more than a year, he was being abused by a German man who was in Cebu, specifically targeting the exploitation of children. He met his mother in an online dating service and then invited himself to meet her and her children soon thereafter. He slowly convinced the mother to allow him to spend more and more alone time with her five-year-old daughter and at then six-year-old son Nicholas so he can videotape and do a lot of other dark things online with them. This perpetrator would later be known to have preyed on single moms throughout Southeast Asia. And for a year, Nicholas and his sister had to endure some of the worst things that any person would have to endure, especially as a young child. And while this perpetrator was uh, doing certain things to them, he would always wear a mask. And in July of this year, just a few months ago, praise God, the Philippine National Police finally found and arrested this perpetrator. And it was discovered that there were quite another, a number of vic child victims in Cebu that fell under this awful hand of this man. And so these children, Nicholas and his sister, were finally placed in the Restore Center where our counselors and social workers were able to work and interact with them. Now, the first time Nicholas met his social worker and support staff, he was very withdrawn, very silent, very to himself, as we can imagine. And he hardly interacted. But as he started to get involved through this group therapy and he started to work with the staff and also be introduced to new foster parents to care for them, he slowly started to open up. After several months, Nicholas was now becoming more comfortable. And he was smiling for the first time, laughing, playing with other children. And he's very artistic and creative. And so he was able to draw and put a voice to his journey for his counselors. And what really surprised the staff at Restore was how the, this group that was rescued began praying. Because they began teaching them about Christ and the gospel and God's love for them. And teaching them to pray. And when they start praying, you know what they do? They begin first praying for the Restore staff, for the Restore family, for their family, that one day God would reunite them with their families as well. And it was beautiful to see how their first thoughts in praying for people was not for themselves, it was but for others. 
God is starting to do a good work of healing in these lives. And it is because of your faith promise giving this past year that we are able to be the church, be the visible expression of Christ and his body to them. There's still a long journey ahead, but I'm so thankful that through our generous giving and our church responding to the heart of God, that we are able to provide Christ-centered healing for these precious children like Nicholas. Change is happening. God is moving through this church. And on behalf of the Restore staff, I want to say thank you to Venture for giving. Another thing we learn about biblical view of children is that children are to be pointed to Jesus. Children are to be pointed to Jesus. Matthew 19, 13 and following says, Then children are brought to Jesus that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Jesus rebukes his disciples when he says, Hey, little people, you guys are not important. You don't matter to God. Hey, you scoot, 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 scoot. No, Jesus rebukes them. Hey, hey, no, 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 you don't understand. They matter to the kingdom of God because they matter to my heart. And he says, Let all the little children come to me. Let them be drawn to me. Bring them closer to me and do not hinder them from getting closer to Jesus. Do you realize that as teachers, as Sunday school teachers, as parents, as grandparents, one of the primary responsibilities that we have if children are in your life is to help them get drawn closer to Jesus. To show them Jesus. To point them to Jesus, to teach them from a young age the stories and the heart of the gospel. You know, in Hawaii, there's a, there's a place called Molokai Island, and they have some of the world's largest and beautiful sea cliffs. And um, several years ago, it was, that island was turned into a uh, leper colony where over 8,000 lepers were uh, shipped to that place. There's a man from Belgium who went there as a missionary named Joseph Damien. His brother was supposed to go but fell ill and right before his brother died, he said, please, my heart is there. Would you go on my behalf? So he went and he went with the gospel to declare the gospel and to demonstrate the gospel. He had chapel services each morning with them. He clothed them. He fed them. He cared for their wounds. And he knew that children's ministry was vital because children need affection, attention, and love. And his message to them was, you matter. Other people run away from you, but there is a God who loves you. And so he made sure that he held them. He loved them. He blessed them. He, and most importantly, he would touch them. The key message he had was, God Loves you. He wants to be near you. He drew near. He sent his son into this world so that you might be his. After 11 years there, one day he was boiling water at the kitchen. A, a pot of hot water fell on his feet, but to his surprise, he didn't feel anything. He discovered that he now had leprosy. And from that day, whenever he would begin his chapel, before that, he would begin his chapel time with my fellow believers. But after that incident, he began with my fellow lepers because he was now an outcast himself. You see, when he died, Belgium buried his body, gave him an honorable burial, gravesite, all these things because of such noble tasks that he'd invested his life for. But the people, the children, and the people who were saved through his ministry in Molokai Island, they pleaded with the Belgium government, please, we want to bury him here. 
Please, would you let us bury him? If not, then at least give us his right arm to be buried in our community here. Because that was the hand that reached out and touched us. So many children, so many parents came to know the Lord through him because he knew his life was there to point these children to Jesus. And there's one more thing that we learn about children in Scripture, and that is that children are a picture of faith. Children are a picture of faith. Let's look at Matthew 18, verse 1. It says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus points to a child and says, This is what faith looks like in the kingdom. Childlike faith. Dependence, trust. You know, it's interesting that we gauge physical maturity in a child as the child grows older. We gauge physical maturity by seeing how more independent they become. You know, I'm so, I was so happy the day that, you know, Enoch begins to brush his teeth by himself or feed himself or shower by himself. It's like, finally, right, you get some relief and so they, they're becoming more independent. But while physical maturity is marked by more independence, spiritual maturity is marked by dependence as we learn to trust God with every area of our lives. And that's a hard lesson to learn. And so he points, hey, look to the child. See them dependent upon the parents. That's how I want you to be dependent upon me, to meet your needs. You see, in this fallen world that we live in, it can be very discouraging to look at the news a lot of times. A lot of times it looks like instead of calling it news, it should be bad news, because a lot of times that's what we hear. But by his grace, though we live in a fallen, sin-stained, sin-cursed world, he does allow us to have a glimpse into glory. And in this world, a lot of times, you know, there are days of sunshine. Things seem good a lot of times. But when the news breaks or when horrific things happen, when we hear about trafficked young children like that, we also see cracks of the curse in this world that has fallen. So when we hear these news, we see the cracks of the curse, the fragments of fallenness. We cry out, God, have mercy. Come, Lord Jesus, Maranatha, come. Bring healing and restoration. Bring revival to the city. Bring revival to America. Bring revival to the nations again. That's our response. But also by his grace, he gives us glimpses of glory. Whether it's through a beautiful meal that you have with loved ones. That Do you realize that when you love the company of dear friends over a glorious meal, that that is a picture, it is a foreshadow of the glorious meal at the great banquet before the Lamb who is worthy that we will all share in in Christ. All the good gifts in our lives are small foreshadow. It is a glimpse of glory of what we can expect in heaven. The beauty of a sunset, 
a cool breeze on a hot summer day. All of these things are God's grace into our lives, giving you a small taste of what's to come in Christ. So when we, the church, when the church is alive, doing what we are called to do, to the orphan, to the widow, to the traffic child, we are giving the world a glimpse of his glory in us and through us. When we give, when we love, when we live as Jesus called us to live, we are showing them a glimpse of our Savior in us. That is the honor of partnering with God through faith promise to the nations, to our neighborhoods that are in need of seeing and hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. We get to serve those that God loves so passionately and declare this message into our world that is hurting. That yes, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, all are precious in his sight. And we bring that good news. We delight his heart and bring glory to our Father in heaven. Let's pray. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.